as you pull out of your driveway backing up. And you turn and you start driving and you see on your windshield a, a light start flashing. Then you all of a sudden hear beep, 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 beep. What are you thinking when you see the flashing on your dashboard and you hear the beep, beep, beep? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Seatbelt, what was that? What's wrong? You know what the first thing is that comes to my mind? Way too much government regulation. I think all of us, when we see the light, we hear the beep, we probably experience different things. Some of us are probably like, oh yeah, seatbelt. Some of us are like, oh, I should just take that thing out. And some of us have kids in the back seat that are also then join in with the beeping. All of us experience and hear something different, even though we're hearing and seeing the exact same thing. This morning, when I say the name Jesus to you, what comes to mind? When I say the description Christian to you, what comes to mind? If we went around today, I think we'd come to a variety of answers, a variety of things that come first in our mind when we say Jesus or if we say Christian. And then if we broaden it out a little bit outside of our church walls and we went around and we ask, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you say Jesus? We'd get a variety of opinions. If we said, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when we say Christian, we'd get a variety of opinions because everybody's coming from a different place. Everyone's coming from a different upbringing. Everyone's going through different experiences. All of those experiences, all of those upbringings are affecting the way in which we perceive Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. I would assume that the majority of you would agree with me this morning that we have a lot of confusion over what it means to be a Christian. And that confusion ultimately goes to the source of the word Christian, Christ. We have a lot of confusion over Christ or Jesus. We could find five different people this morning that are living five completely different ways and believe five completely different things, and all five would claim Christian. We need some refreshment. We need some renewal. We need some clarity on who Jesus is and therefore then what it means to be a Christian. My hope is that over the next couple of months, we would get some renewal and clarity around the person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, which would lead us to clarity around what does it mean to be a Christian. We're going to do this by studying the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the four Gospels. Matthew, you could say, is very simply a narrative about the life of Jesus. It gives us stories about Jesus, but then it also gives us a variety of teachings directly from Jesus. And as we study the book of Matthew, we're going to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus wants for his kingdom. So on one hand, we're going to see Jesus and his kingdom. But on the other hand, at the exact same time, we're going to ask ourselves each Sunday, what would happen if Jesus and his kingdom intersected with how we are right at this moment? What if God's kingdom were to come exactly right now in our lives with exactly what we have going on? So on one hand, we're going to study the book of Matthew and learn some glorious truths. Then we're going to take those truths and we're going to look back at all of the questions, not all of them, the majority of them, questions or comments that were made a couple of weeks ago 
when we all wrote down on a note card or submitted online different questions, struggles that we have. So after we understand a truth about God, then we're going to ask ourselves, how does that truth change reality for us today? And it is reality. Because we're not going to be talking religious lingo about what's going on out there. We're not going to be using big words to describe some maybe situations. We're going to talk about what's going on right in this room with real lives and real people. So my hope is that over the next couple of months, you could join with me in a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask that we would pray this prayer together. It's on the screen here. Basically asking that God would renew us over the next couple of months. Renewal, then at the same time that God's kingdom would come in each of our hearts. So my hope is, is that today we could pray this together, but over the next couple of months, you can maybe make this your prayer throughout the week at different times as well. Just praying that this study of Matthew would transform us. So I'd invite you, let's pray this together this morning. God, renew my understanding of Jesus and your kingdom. Let your kingdom come into my life. Amen. We're going to start that renewal this morning. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 4, beginning with the 12th verse. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. The word of the Lord. Jesus has arrived on the scene. This is the moment the Jewish nation has been waiting for for hundreds of years. Hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament pointed to a time when a man, the Messiah, would come. That moment has come. Jesus is beginning his public ministry The prophet John the Baptist has just finished his work. The ground is now laid for the Messiah to come on the scene. And where would one expect to find the Messiah, the the next big religious leader, the one who is going to transform the nation of Israel, the one who is the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament? What's the biggest thing in the Old Testament? The temple, Jerusalem. Everything is centered around the temple and Jerusalem in the Old Testament. One would expect that the Messiah, the one who fulfills all of these promises, would be where? At the temple, 
in Jerusalem with all of the religious leaders. But Jesus is nowhere to be found in that area. Rather, you could say, Jesus is out in the sticks. Jesus has ventured where the politicians rarely, if ever, venture. Jesus is venturing where the religious leaders make the people come to them rather than them go out there. Jesus has gone to the forsaken places. Jesus has gone to this place that's looked at as called Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Who can tell me what, who Zebulun is and Naphtali? I mean, when you're telling about the Bible, those are the first two names that come to your mind, right? In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was broken down into 12 tribes. Two of those tribes, these two unknown individuals right here, Zebulun, Naphtali. Okay, they're nobodies. They got nothing going for them. In the sense of biblical knownness, they are unknown. Nobody memorizes these two names. You don't find any vacation Bible schools that have the theme, Nebulun, Zephtali. They're no names. But where does Jesus go? To this land first and foremost. To this gathering of people. This is critical to see. This geography is so important because looking at the geography gives us a glimpse into the heart and the mind of God himself. That where does God go? Not where the who's who are located. But God goes to the common folk, the ordinary people, some of the people who are down and out. This is where God goes. You know the two apostles that we never hear about, or I don't even know if you knew our apostles, Thaddeus and Bartholomew? Anybody familiar with Thaddeus or Bartholomew? No, I have not seen any books written on them. I've not seen any sermon series done on any of them. Two completely unknown. That's basically these two men of the tribes of Israel. Just unknown, forgotten. Where does God go? There first. Because God brings the value to the people. The people don't bring value to God. God goes. Because when God goes, God brings with him a declaration and also an invitation to the people. And Jesus begins by giving this declaration and this invitation in these unknown places, these places in the sticks, as you could say. The ministry of Jesus that begins in these places, you could say, can be defined by two different elements. The whole ministry of Jesus is containing these two things. One, and first and foremost, a declaration. Jesus arrives on the scene, and what does he say? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in other words, Jesus is saying, the reign of God is here. God's authority is in this place, and he is in charge. So Jesus is announcing that the reign of God is present. It's a declaration that Jesus is in charge, Jesus has authority, that God's plans are about to unfold, the kingdom, God's ways are breaking in to the world. If you read the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, there's this great emphasis on kingdom. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Very simply, it means the reign of God. When you see kingdom of heaven here, don't think heaven as we think heaven outside of this earth. 
Kingdom of heaven is the reign of God. In other gospels, they don't use kingdom of heaven. They use kingdom of God. The reason for that is they're trying to be respectful of the Jewish heritage here. So they use the phrase kingdom of heaven because it allows their message to go into the Jewish culture a little bit more rather than saying kingdom of God. The two phrases mean the same thing, where God is reigning, where God is present. So Jesus is making a declaration. God's presence is here to break in. God's authority is here. God's ways are here to come into your life. So at the same time as he makes a declaration, though, Jesus also makes an invitation. Jesus doesn't just arrive and say, hey, God's in charge. God's ways are coming. No, then Jesus makes an invitation. He says, repent. And then he follows it up by saying, follow me. You see this throughout all of the Gospels. Jesus saying, repent. And also Jesus saying what? Follow me. And Jesus' final words to his disciples, what does he say? Go and make disciples. In other words, go and extend the exact same invitation to other people. God is extending an invitation to you and I today. An invitation to be a Christian. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it goes to this invitation. And I think that Professor John Higgle, he's actually from Sioux Falls, summarizes it best. He wrote a book on Matthew, spent a lot of time studying Matthew and what Matthew means by Christian and disciple. I want to share a little bit of what he says. He summarizes it well. The wording of Matthew emphasizes how central Jesus himself is to their lives of discipleship. Follow me. Jesus is not training them in a philosophy or set of skills. He is calling them to be with him, to study and imitate him so they can draw people to him. He will never work himself out of a job, and his students will never graduate from his training or become independent. Their lives will always revolve around Jesus and what he is doing. Even after he dies and is raised from the dead, his disciples will live with him constantly, communicating with him and assisting him in his powerful work in the world. Jesus will always be the main actor, and they will always be the supporting cast. Jesus is fully human so he can show them how to live by his example. Yet he is more than merely human. Because of his divine status and authority, Jesus is worthy of becoming the focus of their whole lives. Very simply, Jesus is calling, is extending an invitation for people to have their lives revolve around him. Christianity is not agreeing to a set of ideas, but rather Christianity is orienting one's life around a real living person. In other words, Christianity is a relationship in very simple terms. Christianity is a relationship because Jesus is calling us to follow after him, and Jesus is alive. This is the invitation that Jesus gives. Jesus does not show up and say, hey, I'm in charge. You should feel bad for what you've done wrong. When we say the word repent, some of us think that means what? Just feel sorry for what you've done wrong. Be sorrowful and confess your sins. No, repentance is not feeling sorry for what you've done. Repentance is literally turning one's life around and going in a different direction. Jesus is not the no police. You know, when you have young children, you constantly find yourself in this position of what? Don't touch that. Stop. Back up a little bit more. No, no, no. You're too close. You're constantly saying no. You're constantly saying, don't do that. 
Sometimes we portray that image, we project that image onto God himself. That we think that's what God's like. That's what Jesus is like. Just, no, don't do that. No, no. No, Jesus is completely different. You see, he's got this parenting thing down. He, he knew it before they started writing the books on redirecting behavior. Instead of just going and saying, no, what do you do? You go and redirect their behavior to something positive. So when one child is stealing a toy from another child, haven't had to deal with this in my own household, but I hear it happens. Thing. So when one child is stealing a toy, you don't just say what? Hey, stop stealing. You redirect their attention somewhere else to doing something more positive. Jesus does the exact same thing on a much higher scale. He doesn't say, hey, just stop doing that bad stuff. Jesus says, no, no, no. Reorient your life around me. He wants to redirect us to himself because Christianity is a life-giving relationship with the King of Kings. Jesus' ministry is making a declaration. The kingdom of God is at hand. At the exact same time, he's making an invitation. Come, follow me. Have a life-giving relationship. Jesus starts with the nobodies. And he makes a declaration to the nobodies. And then he makes an invitation to the nobodies. There's something of great worth and value for us in understanding this. So now we go to our kingdom come moment. Each Sunday, we're going to have a kingdom come moment. What would happen if what we just talked about with Jesus' declaration and invitation came and affected something that's going on right now in our lives? Kingdom come moment. God's kingdom come right now. Today's kingdom come moment. We deal with something that was asked or talked about by more than five questions, thoughts that were submitted. Here's just a flavor. I come home from work down and am constantly feeling depressed. Sorry, I messed up my cards here. I have struggled continually with hating myself and learning to accept how God can love me. I struggle with being accepted, with being who God has created me to be. How can I add worth and value to my family? That's just kind of a splattering of some of the things that are on the cards about this issue of worth and value. This is a real issue for a lot of us. Depression and anxiety is a real issue. At the root of depression and anxiety is the issue of self-worth, the issue of value. How does our worth and our value change when God's kingdom comes? It changes everything. Because our worth and our value is no longer found in our competence or our heritage or our standing in society or our looks, but rather our confidence and our worthiness now comes from the call and the caller. This morning, every one of us in here can know that we have great value and great worth because of the call we have received and the one making the call. You see, when Jesus is out talking with these individuals, he goes up to fishermen. He goes up to ordinary folk. 
You see, in that time and age, people would find a rabbi or a teacher, and then they would kind of apply to be a student of that rabbi or a teacher. And then the rabbi or teacher would decide, well, is this going to be a good match? Does this person add value to the team? Is this a good person? Jesus does it completely different. No applications. But rather, Jesus extends a call. He goes right to the fishermen. And it appears as though these fishermen haven't applied with any other rabbi. Probably because they don't sense they're worthy to apply with any other rabbi. But Jesus goes right to them and doesn't say, hey, why don't you apply with me? You know, he says, come follow me. He extends an invitation. You see, that call and the person behind the call automatically gives that person who's receiving it worth. Do you realize how big of a deal it is that the King of Kings, the Lord of the universe, has extended a call to you? How many of you get done with a phone marketer, hang up the phone and go, huh, I am a big deal. Thank you for calling. I'm just really important. Right? For the most part, you hang up with a marketer, you're like, ah, thank goodness. Done with them. You don't feel any extra value because you're getting a call from the marketers. But now, if the president called, that would change things dramatically. You see, Who's on the other end of the call makes all of the difference in the world. You think the call from the president is a big deal. Think of the biggest number you can come up with and multiply times that. That's how big of a deal it is that on the other end of this call, follow me, is the king of kings, the one who created the whole universe, the only one, the only one who has ever overcome death. This is the one who's on the other side of the call. That automatically gives you worth and value. We cannot emphasize enough, nor give enough proper reflection of the magnitude of the one who is calling us. The one who is in this small town calling ordinary fishermen. It's that same one who's extending a call to you and I today. Today is a day to stand with confidence. Today is a day to say, I have value. Not because of my skin color, not because of my heritage, not because of what's in my bank account, but I have worth and value because of the call and the identity of the caller. Today, there's some practical steps that we can take to build this worth and value in us. Because guess what? When we ourselves experience this worth and value, what do we project to the world around us? Worth and value. But there's also another piece of the pie. When we ourselves don't feel the worth and value, how do we treat those around us? As though they don't have worth and value. We add value and worth to others by knowing we ourselves have worth and value from this central truth. So I want to give you three practical things that we can do. Three practical things that we can do in life to add value and worth that flow from this truth of Jesus extending an invitation. The first is this. Memorize slash rememberize what God has said about you. Memorize slash rememberize what God has said about you. So many of us are so busy listening to ourselves or listening to the people around us or listening to the billboards. 
we've got to get another voice in our lives. That voice has to be the truth of God's Word. Memorize and remember what God has said about you. Find places in Scripture where God describes His love for humanity, the beauty for humanity. Find places in Scripture where God describes what Jesus has done for you. Memorize it. Let it soak within you. At the same time, the second thing we need to do is we need to memorize and meditate upon the worthiness of the caller. Memorize and meditate upon the worthiness of the caller. Continually keep in front of us the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of Judah, the King of kings, the Lord of hosts, the one who is preeminent or in first place over all creation. Just find different places in the Bible, and there's a multitude of gold nuggets everywhere. Find those little nuggets where just in one sentence it's describing the person of Jesus Christ. Meditate upon it so that you remember the greatness of the one who's extending a call to you. You and I should be like crock pots throughout the day. And we don't have mom's roast beef in us. What we've got in us is the word of God. All day long, we're just crock pots. Soaking within us is what God has said about us and what God has said about the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. You don't have to go out and memorize the whole book of Leviticus today, but find a truth. Find a little nugget and put that nugget in your mind. And this week, when that voice comes back, and it will come back, and sometimes it'll come back from your own heart, then preach to your own heart. Don't wait till Sunday morning for some preaching. Preach at your workplace to yourself. We can add value by remembering what God has said about us and what God has said about the person of Jesus Christ. The third thing that we can do is we can surround ourselves with positive people. Now, this sounds like Oprah for a moment. Think, this is not Oprah. Surround yourself with positive people. Whatever you feel is good, act upon it. Don't worry about whatever. No, no, no. Positive in the Scriptures is this, is exhorting or building each other up. So seeing something in someone pulling it out of them and building it up so that they can go out and live out that great thing that they have. All of us in this room could use some more positive people in our lives. Guilty, number one, right here, of sarcasm and just sometimes too much satire. We need to realize the necessity of positive people in our midst. Other people who automatically value and worth in us and speak about that worth and that value. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up, that it may give grace to them at their moment of need. What's coming out of your mouth? Are the words that are coming out building other people up? We've got to be really careful when we're talking about the behavior of other people. That We do have to sometimes talk about other people's behavior, but we have to be really careful that when speaking about someone else's behavior, we're not also putting down their worth or their value when we're talking to them about their behavior or talking about their behavior. 
We need to be people who see, who see the intrinsic value and worth in other people because God himself sees it. And God himself has given a call to each person. In the last couple of years, I've had to stand next to two bodies, both under the age 18 and both dead. Not dead because of a car accident. Not dead because of a cancer or an illness. But dead because took their own life. They stood next to each of those bodies and when the parents arrived home in both situations and we read the letter together or read the other information available in both situations you can point to the words that were said to and about these individuals that drove them to what they did. It's very simple, but maybe it's actually true what we tell our kids, that words matter. Maybe the preschool saying should be moved out of preschool and into seminary and into corporations. Sticks and stones may break my bones. What about words? Words matter. They have power. They create perceptions in people's minds of how valuable and worthwhile they are. But first it begins right here. Do I know how much value and worth I have? Do you this morning know how valuable you are? that the God of this universe would extend a call to you. Not because of where you're at right now, not because of good decisions you've made, but because God created you. Because you are in His image. Today you have worth and value because of the call and the one who's making the call to you. Could we be a people who extend that worth and value to others who are in our midst? Finding ways to build up. Finding ways and sometimes going to the extra mile to make sure someone knows how valuable they are. Crazy stuff can happen when people don't feel valued. Bad stuff can happen when people feel as though they have no worth. You and I have an opportunity to first and foremost come to the recognition of our own value and worth and then extend that same thing to people around us. What comes into your mind when I say the name Jesus? One thing that should come into your mind is how valuable you are, how worthy you are. Not because of what you have done, but because Jesus himself has extended 
a call to you. Today, I hope that you can stand alongside of me and proclaim with confidence that I am loved, I am cared for, I have infinite value because the one who is infinite has called me into a life-giving relationship with himself. Today, let's answer that call so that we can experience that value and worth. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for creating us. Thank you for giving each of us value and worth. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the Messiah. Thank you for sending him to the weird places. Thank you for sending him to the places of darkness. And God, now we ask that you'd burn in our hearts the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. God, I pray for each person's heart here this morning, each person's mind. God, I pray that right now they would supernaturally know their value and their worth. God, I pray that you'd call each heart in this room today to a life-giving relationship. God, have your way with us. Have your way among us. Renew our understanding of Jesus. Renew our understanding of your kingdom. And let your kingdom come in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.